This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Meryl Streep received an Oscar nomination this week for her superb performance in the movie The Devil Wears Prada. For those that may have missed the film, Street plays Miranda Priestley, the thinly disguised Anna Wintour-esque villain of Lauren Weisberger's best-selling novel. Given the softening of Streep's role for the film, it's no wonder that everyone loved her. There are even several women I know who now want to be her, fictional or not, and I, of course, am one of them. But I've wanted to work in the world of magazines since I was 12 years old. This was the year I discovered Vogue. My mother's best friend, a wealthy woman named Carolyn, had us over to her house every weekend so that my brother and I could swim in her pool. And Caroline subscribed to Vogue. From the first moment I saw the magazine casually draped over one of her cushy chintz sofas, all I wanted to do was hide away in her upstairs reading room and pour through every issue she had stashed away in the various corners of her house. But I was forced to behave in a more socially polite, inclusive manner and was asked to join their conversation or at the very least read my precious publications out on the deck while wearing a bathing suit that I loathed, while my brother screamed and splashed and my mother and her friends sunbathed and sipped. I fell madly in love with supermodel Patty Hansen that summer. I would pretend that because we both had freckles, I too could be wildly glamorous and date famous rock stars and wear remarkable clothes and stay out all night just being my beautiful, fabulous self. But along with my Patty love came an even deeper lust for the glossy pages of this monthly tome. I read it cover to cover, I read the articles and the ads, the horoscope and the letters, I read the list of editors and writers and art directors, and imagined their jet-setting lives as they flew off to exotic lands to photograph and write about expensive clothes for women with extravagant taste. At that moment, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work at a magazine. By the time I got to college, I was determined to be a modern-day Rosalind Russell or Diana Vreeland and eagerly made my way up to the offices of the school newspaper where I was kindly and very politely rebuked, at least at first. I was so desperate to work for the paper that I imagined writing gloriously heady letters to the editor that would enthrall the staff so entirely that they would beg me to join their efforts. My romantic longing finally paid off when no one on staff wanted to cover a lesbian rights rally and I was called at the last minute to report on the feminist political uprising outside the campus health food store. I never made it as a writer at a fashion magazine, though I did have some stints at a rock magazine and a home computing magazine and a women's magazine. What I ended up discovering was once I started working at any magazine, I was far more interested in the form or the design rather than the content, and a baby designer was born. But writing has remained an important part of both my personal and professional identity, and I couldn't imagine it any other way. Bertolt Brecht said that art is not a mirror held up to reality, 
but a hammer with which to shape it. And I think that writing accomplishes this as well. But social scientist Frieda Hogg says it best. Writing is a transgression of boundaries and exploration of new territory. It involves making public the events of our lives, wriggling free of the constraints of purely private and individual experiences. From a state of modest insignificance, we enter a space in which we can take ourselves seriously. As an alternative to accepting everyday events mindlessly, we recall them in writing. Author George Orwell wrote an essay about writing and classified all writing attempts into four categories. The first was writing for historical impulse, which is a desire to see things as they are and to find out true facts. The next was for political purpose, which is a desire to alter the ideas society should strive for. The third was aesthetic enthusiasm, which was a desire to share an experience which one feels is valuable and ought not to be missed. And the last, and by far my favorite, sheer egoism, which was a desire to seem clever, to be talked about, or to be remembered. But I do question Orwell's use of the terminology when referencing the sheer egoism of some writing. While the current climate of 100 million bloggers might attest to the accuracy of this classification, I think there is more than just egoism involved. I think to consider why we write is also to wonder why we read. I think we read and write to find proof of who we are in the world and to connect to a community of like-minded thinkers and seekers. With the mere scratch of a pen or the stroke of a key, we write to be able to speak. We write to be able to hear. We write to bridge the distance we feel with those near to us, those far away, and to ourselves. Whether it is writing a diary or a dictionary, no endeavor is removed from this effort to inscribe our experiences. But words are never perfect, and I believe that this is the true allure of the magazine, the magical combination of the printed word and the painted face, the two-dimensional event horizon that transports us to a place where everything is neat and well-considered and safe and well-designed. I believe that even email is included in this characteristic. For a long time now, I've been wondering why I love email so much. I love writing it. I love getting it. I love the immediate interactivity it provides. I even love the swooshy sound it makes when I press the send button. I sneak to read my email even when I shouldn't. But my dear friend Marion described it best. Visiting with me for a week, we came home from a night out and both went straight away to check our computers for new mail. We sat there together, joyous in our ability to write and send and communicate. Then she stopped and said something that made my heart pound. After she said it, I realized she had managed to articulate exactly what I felt about this most modern mode of communication. And I knew, though I will never end up as glamorous as a glamorous magazine editor, there was still something else I could aspire to. What Marion said was this, I love email. I wish I could write email for a living. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are four very real, very glamorous women in the business of magazine publishing. Joyce Ryder Kay, the editor-in-chief of Print Magazine, Michaela Abrams, the publisher of Dwell, Barbara DeWilde, a design director who's designed many magazines, and Letitia Wolf, the editor, editorial director of Surface. Welcome to Design Matters, and thank you all so much for being here. So... First question is for Joyce. Joyce, I'd like to ask you about an article that David Moore wrote in Media Life magazine and in which he called print magazine is about a magazine about how the world sees itself. Let's see if I can get this right. Um, he wrote, 
Print Magazine is a magazine about how the world sees itself. Would you say that that's accurate? I would say that that's true. Um, print's been around for 67 years, and for uh, 45 of those uh, last years, uh, the mission has always been to take a look at visual culture and um, show the range, the huge broad range of things that influence designers and affect them. Um, but also to take a critical look at uh, the way designers affect the world, too. So I would say that that really is our goal, is to look at all aspects of visual culture and, um, and see where it's going. It's interesting because I think that the vernacular of design has really entered the, the mainstream. And um, I, I, just, I, I have a pet peeve about it, though, because I find that People that aren't designers or, or educated in the, in the vernacular of design tend not to be able to use those words correctly. And so, I, for example, I was in a meeting this morning where somebody was referring to typography as graphology and then, and then used the word typology. And then, of course, my favorite word of all is the word graphical which I actually don't even think is a word, but I cannot begin to tell you how many times I hear it. But in any case, um, one of the other things that I read about Print Magazine, Joyce, was that um, there's only one other magazine besides print that's been nominated by the American Association of Magazine Editors for as many awards as print has, um, and that magazine is The New Yorker. Um, what would you say is the staying power of this magazine and the allure of this magazine? I think in terms of... Um of striving to um, to not be a trade magazine, to really um, address in a serious way design and visual culture. Uh, it really began with Martin Fox, who was the editor of print for 40 years until 2003 when I stepped up um, for managing editor. And uh, Martin recognized that it was important to expand the view of visual culture and include everything um, at that point from, um, you know, billboards and movie tickets and um, everything in society and rather than just making the magazine a portfolio of professional design and he so he made it a serious professional journalistic endeavor and that is uh, where we've been going ever since so I give him a lot of credit for taking a very serious look at the field and uh, we've just been building on that ever since and I think um, also over the last few years there's been um, just not few years but over the last 10 years or so there's just been a, a much more of an awareness of design in the general population and an interest on the part of writers from, you know, all areas of life in engaging in the subject matter. So we've been really lucky to pull in great writers from film critics to Oscar-winning film directors and um, all sorts of people, tattoo artists, <laughs> bloggers. <laughs> and uh, it's been amazing to draw in all these, uh, the range of voices. And we're lucky to have some wonderful editors on staff with great ideas and a great way of working with writers as well. So um, I feel very fortunate to be in this position to have all these great voices and people and ideas to work with. Yes, very much so. Michaela, I want to talk a little bit about your magazine. You're the president and publisher of Dwell, which since its introduction in September of 2000 has had quite a successful trajectory. Um, not only are you a magazine, you're really a multimedia company, uh, many, many different cross-platforms. Um, given the buzzworthy startups of magazines like Radar that haven't succeeded, what do you attribute the success of Dwell to? Well, I think... You know, it's been um, a little over seven years since Lara Deem, the founder and owner of Dwell, um, created Dwell out of her own need to find um, a vocabulary for 
design that would allow her to actually just build her own home. And it was after completing that project with an architect that she sat down with her husband and and he actually as an architect and furniture designer said, you know, I don't know what you want to do next, but what you should do is start a magazine because all you did was complain that the architecture books were too steeped in lingo and the traditional shelter magazines in this country were very much about decor. Mm -hmm. So she then, you know, wrote the plan. And I think that when a magazine is born out of an editorial need and uh, a void in the market that it fills, then it, it, if it is actually doing that, then the traction is um, palpable and it's a matter of being able really to shepherd it through and make sure that you continue to lead with, with that voice. And I think that um, we've done that in a demonstrable way and in a way that more mirrors what has been done very successfully um, in Europe for many years, mm -hmm. but not necessarily in this country. So um, having a brand that, that does that has really allowed us to be able to do what we've done with the magazine in, in what we just celebrated in October is our sixth anniversary. Now, before we go to break, I just wanted to ask you very briefly about uh, something that I saw on the Dwell website, which is your Fruit Bowl Manifesto. Can you, mm -hmm. can you tell us just very briefly um, about the Fruit Bowl Manifesto? Absolutely. It was uh, written for the first issue to let our community know that what we stood for was um, good design in general and that what that meant is that what you would never see in Dwell was that perfect studio shot, that, that perfectly... Um, you know, set stage of a home that didn't look like anybody lived in it. And the most, um, oh, God, important icon of that would be the typical fruit bowl that you see in, in many other shelter magazines that's just perfectly arranged and done. And our contention is, of course, that that's not really how people live. And so it was really just about saying that this is really about real-world stories and it's a design lifestyle look at architecture and not architecture for architecture's sake. Wonderful. We have Barbara DeWilde here as well, and, and she's uh, just finished the redesign of House Beautiful magazine and worked for many, many years with Martha Stewart. So when we come back for our break, we're going to ask her how she feels about that. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are four extraordinary women working in magazines, Joyce Ryder Kay, Editor-in-Chief of Print, Michaela Abrams, the publisher of Dwell, Barbara DeWilde, Design Director, and Letitia Wolf, the editorial director of Surface. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Four oh ones, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. We're speaking with Emin Katie and Ivana Califatic, the co-founders of fashion magazine Clear. With its transparent cover, the magazine practically jumps off the stands. What makes Clear Magazine different? It's not just a magazine. We're looking for something that could be an environment. Clear wants to elevate and motivate and explore environment. Clear wants to be a journey for someone's imagination. And I think the mystery is what's about clear. The word clear represents a lot to us because it means simplicity, 
purity, clean, no ego, no pretense. And I think that's exactly the way that the product has really been viewed by readers, by viewers of the magazine and our events that we do. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Em and Katie talks about doing an entire magazine issue in clear plastic. This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. Nicholas Troxler has spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City a benefit for the city of New Orleans, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. We know y'all are going to enjoy it. And please go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Mom, my tooth fell out. The coach says I can play shortstop. I get to be a deciduous tree. You live for the first in your child's life. But how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? PureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. PureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by PureSearch and the Ad Council. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you reap regularly reap what you sow with alana daily broadcast each thursday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern on the voice america business channel reap what you sow learn the rules of the game then play better than anyone else keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.20 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Joyce Ritter-Kay, the Editor-in-Chief of Print, Michaela Abrams, Publisher of Dwell, Barbara DeWilde, Design Director, and Letitia Wolf, Editorial Director of Surface. If you'd like to join our conversation, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And before the break, we were talking about uh, the positioning that Dwell Magazine has and how it really is very, very different. And when it first came out, uh, was the first magazine of its kind with its sort of positioning it had in the United States. And I, I want to ask Barbara DeWilde, um, you worked on a magazine that also changed the shape of magazine publishing and certainly the overall timbre of shelter magazines uh, when you worked on, with Martha Stewart on Martha Stewart Living and Martha Stewart Baby and Martha Stewart Holiday and the list goes on and on. Um, and now having just finished the redesign of House Beautiful, tell us how you feel about the, the differences in the positionings of all of these shelter magazines. Well, I know that we are all uh, at House Beautiful and Martha Stewart Living 
truly openly in love with the fruit bowl. We love <laughs> we love the dream, and, and and I think that that's a very important part of that category of shelter experience. Um, you use the magazine to escape your reality. You love to imagine your home or your garden or your any decor as this instead of you know my fruit that's rotting in the bowl and the shoes are all <laughs> over the floor and the bed's not made. I want to escape. So and I think I think that Gail Towie's art direction and creative direction of Martha Stewart Living really made the dreaminess um, quintessential and mm-hmm. created a brand around it. Now, Letitia, you work, you've worked in some very, very high-end, premium magazines. You were the editor-in-chief of Graphies. Now you're the editorial director of Surface, which is very glamorous and glorious. Tell us about working in that sort of premium category, that premium area of magazine publishing. Um, well, there, the two experiences were definitely um, quite different. Um, if I can start with, the, with this, I mean, the comparison that is hard to make, and on one hand, Graphite being more of a journal, um, not trying to document what's, what's happening right now, but rather um, present retrospective-like um, articles, almost like mini-books on, on major established designers, graphic designers, most of them, where Surface is much more about um, catching... Uh, you know, a, a trend or a sense of, of what's happening and trying to interpret it um, in the most sexy and um, smart way. Wonderful. Uh, we have a caller on the line, um, Gregory from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hello. Hi there. I guess you were talking about um, uh, uh, His Girl Friday. Is that it? Yes, Hildy? of yeah. course. <laughs> of course, Hildy. Um, my question for Barbara, and I actually have two. The first one, um, you've been asked this so many times, I'm sure if you had a dollar for each time you'd be a trillionaire. Uh, what was it like working with Martha? <laughs> um, Martha's brilliant. She's very inspiring. She is smart and direct. Her homes are remarkable. She is curious about how it's made, who made it, who bought it, who owned it, how do you use it, and as soon as she speaks with any expert, she immediately becomes an expert. <laughs> I've really never experienced uh, a relationship or a person like Martha at all, and, and uh, I, I'm a big fan, too. And I think you, if you want to be part of a company that has a celebrity as the CEO, you need to be a fan. You need to, to, to really admire and like what they do. Right. Um, the other question I have for you, um, you know, I'm I'm a very crafty person, and um, but I I'm not a perfectionist. I guess I don't really believe in perfection. I guess I believe in good enough. And um, I, I, you know, the, the magazine is just it's one of the most beautiful magazines that has ever been produced. It's it's perfect. It it is perfect. And I'm wondering, you know, you're talking about um, understanding the dream and creating that dream, but. Do you think that sometimes in that need to escape the reality, that when you're appealing to people who are crafty, who are looking at the projects that are in the magazine step by step and then the finished product, that it is so perfectly styled and, you know, somebody has spent such a profound amount of time creating this and making it look perfect, that it, it can sometimes be counterproductive for people who are crafty and are looking to 
um, make that, you know, take that project on and then feel defeated because it can't possibly look that perfect? Well, I don't think there's anyone on the planet who's dying to be number two. <laughs> Everyone wants to be the best that they can be, and we all aspire. And why not aspire to, you know, there really is nothing perfect. The folks who craft at Martha Stewart Living are incredible artists, and they have such sensitivity to form that it looks perfect because they've, re they've thought of the color, the texture, how to put it together. And so they're giving you this, this thing to aspire to. And just as long as you've got your big box of felt and your glue and your hot glue gun and all that stuff and you're out making these things, aren't you just so happy when you do that? Well, I mean, you are, but, but you know, sometimes you really want it to look like that because it is so beautiful and it's so great. And, and, and you know, the reality is, is that when you're working with glue and felt and all that stuff, it's messy and it's difficult and it's tricky and, you know, you're not spending you know, eight hours just getting one sequin put on right. So I guess as inspiring as it can be, um, you know, where is where is sometimes the reality of saying it's okay if it doesn't really look like this? Just call me. I'll tell you it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Thank you for calling, Gregory. Um, ladies, I have a question for all four of you. Um, Time Inc. recently announced major, major layoffs of, of a lot of their staff. And for the once venerable company, this represents a true turning point, I think. And I think obviously the Internet has played a significant part in their current situation. And I was curious to get your opinions on how you feel the Internet has played a significant role in the positioning of your magazines, if at all. Uh, Michaela, why don't we start with you? Michaela? Whoops, sorry. I'm That's okay. uh, just, there's a delay. I apologize. No, not at all. Not um, at all. I think our, our approach, um, because we've approached it uh, very differently than traditional magazine publishers, we have surrounded um, our, ourselves with a community of people rather than creating a business based on a print vehicle. And while mm -hmm. certainly the financial underpinnings uh, represent a magazine at this point, the growth is definitely coming from the other platforms. And so the Internet has absolutely give us an, give, given us an opportunity to add even greater context and depth and sources for our community, um, just like conferences do in the, in the live setting. Um, it, the Internet undeniably has changed at forever and will continue to do that, the magazine industry, and it is now changing fundamentally um, circulation as we see most of the major publishers uh, challenged seriously on the newsstand with subscriptions, and um, that, that will continue to change, and thereby uh, changing the metrics of how advertising is sold and, and how subscriptions are, are garnered. Now, have you seen any change in your circulation over the years is, since you've launched? Have you always, uh, have you gone up every year? Has it been bumpy? Wait. We have. We started at 50,000 and we're now at 300,000 uh, guaranteed and fully 2,000 to 2,500 subscriptions come from our website every single month with the be a better pay up than any other source. So it is also an incredible engine for us to tap into a community of people who by searching on Google or looking um, at different uh, issues and design where Dwell comes up, that then they subscribe to the magazine. So it's been uh, a wonderful platform for us, and we're continuing to spend 
more money and staffing in order to make sure that we're taking advantage of the medium and doing the proper thing for it. Yeah, I was I was surprised and then also not surprised when I saw that House and Garden had teamed up with Design Sponge uh, to for the Design Sponge staff to Grace Bonney, uh for her to uh, run their blog, which I thought was a really mm -hmm. interesting cross-promotion. Leticia, what about you? How has the Internet affected the business at Surface? Um, in a strange way, I would say. Um, <clears throat> I'd say that the fact that the magazine started almost as a, first as a local West Coast magazine, quickly going into national, domestic, and then now international brands, has been mostly um, supported by an incredible um, fan base, which which has been um, you know maintained and entertained with uh, a number of parties, and that was so, sort of like the pre-internet era almost. I mean, the magazine was born in the early 90s, so we've been a little late on the bandwagon of the of the internet, um, I must admit, but we are about to relaunch the site um, in May. Yes, I actually did see that. Yeah, and that's um, that is sort of the product of a number of of, um, of elements that have that have been um, you know happening uh, around the magazine, which is really part of the the DNA of the magazine to have all these side projects, um, the brand existing through exhibits and um, conferences and parties, cocktail special programs, etc. And so we would like the website to really finally. Um, congregate all these different um, activities that have happened, but they were never, you know, concretized in, in one particular space. Now, do you feel like there's something sad about the fact that all of these efforts need to be made to keep your brands viable in the minds of the readers? I mean, there was a time when it was all that was necessary was really good writing and really good design, and now these, there seems to need to be um, this sort of sensory overload of brand extensions and parties and conferences and not that I don't enjoy all of those things. I personally love to to go to the conferences and, and go to the blogs and read everything that I can on the internet. But it does seem there does seem to be something that is a little bit sad about the fact that these properties cannot just front and center stand on their own as publications. Any, any thoughts? I, I don't. I mean, can I jump in? I sure, of course, of course. Directed to me, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's sad. For Surface, at least, it's not sad because I don't think of, of Surface as just a magazine, and, and that's one mm, of the main reasons yeah, why. That's true. Um, personally, I, I that. joined. Is mm -hmm. that I don't think of myself as, as a publishing person. I just fell into the pit of publishing. I guess the same way I fell into the pit of, of design. It's it sort of. It's sort of a, it, it's a community before being a magazine. So, so it was it was just the magazine to me is like an expression among other things, and I'm I'm striving to help develop other ways of expressing a discourse, a dialogue, um, you know, reflection or having fun simply about design outside the page of the magazine. Mm -hmm. So I don't yeah. think of it as a you know as a typical branding development process where. Um, you know, Internet comes after. I mean, obviously, in, in a chronology, Internet comes after the print. But, you know, in our case, I think it's quite different. I see it more as a complementary um, sort of molecular um, system. Yeah, no, I, I would agree that the, the newer publications really are brands in that they have all of these multifaceted 
uh, ways of, of speaking to their audience, to their readership, and so forth. It's, I think, more of the older magazines, House Beautiful being over 100 years old, print magazine being 70-plus years old, that suddenly your the right. lives of the magazine really does change quite substantially um, by this new type of technology. Unfortunately, we have to take a break, but I'd like to come back to the subject when we come back. We also have some callers on the line. Uh, I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Joyce Ryder Kay, Editor-in-Chief of Print, Michaela Abrams, Publisher of Dwell, Barbara DeWilde, Design Director Extraordinaire, and Letitia Wolf, Editorial Director at Surface. We'll be right back with our messages, with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Em and Katie and Ivana Califatic of Clear Magazine. Okay, tell us about the plastic issue. Plastic issue came about from a paper company and said, you know, I, I really think we should do something together. And I definitely pushed them to the limits and said, let's do the whole entire magazine in plastic. We went down this incredibly difficult route. Somehow we figured it out. We did the whole thing. It won two major international design awards. We couldn't tear it. You could actually take it in your pool, in your bathtub. And we're always experimenting with it. Actually, I think with the next issue, we're going to do a little bit of a different page layout, specifically with the magazine, just to kind of keep people's interest up and, and wondering, you know, what, what else to expect with the magazine. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Em and Katie talks about putting out an international magazine from the Midwest. This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. You know, when you talk about jazz, most people think of the blues. But Matisse, Bearden, Lawrence, Stuart Davis, and other 20th century masters inspired by this music saw a whole range of colors. For me, jazz is a visual medium. And maybe nobody proves that better than Nicholas Troxler, who spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. Now you can hear it from the man himself, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's acoustic Masada. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City, a benefit for the most noble city of New Orleans, Saturday, March 10th at Jazz at Lincoln Center in the House of Swing. Go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event and see how Troxler saturates his work with the rhythmic energy of pulsating swinging jazz music. Yes, indeed. 200 years ago, Lewis and Clark discovered the West. That is, if you don't count the millions of American Indians who discovered it first. Because Lewis and Clark left one civilization only to find dozens of others that, despite everything, are still here today. Walk with Lewis and Clark at lewisandclark200.org and see what you discover, because their trail winds through us all. This is a public service message of the National Council of the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial, the Missouri Historical Society, and the Ed Council. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. 
Welcome back. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Joyce Ryder Kay, Michaela Abrams, Barbara DeWilde, and Letitia Wolfe. And if you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for any of these wonderful women, you can call 1-866-472-5790. And we do have a caller on the line. We have Isabel from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Isabel, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Hello. Hello, Isabel. Yes, hi, Debbie and ladies. I have a question for Joyce. It seems odd that for Design Magazine, with what would seem like a fairly progressive audience, that you would have so much criticism for the sex issue. <laughs> Why do you think that happened? Um, I think it can be explained. I think, um, actually, Joyce, if I can interrupt for one second, for those listeners that might not be aware of the sex issue, can you just give us two lines about what that issue was, the subsequent brouhaha, and then what your, your feelings about it are to answer Isabel's question? Okay, well, just briefly, in 2004, we decided um, and noticed that sex was an issue um, that was being sort of carefully avoided in the design publication community and decided it was time, um, especially with um, this sort of internet porn aesthetic that was filtering through all aspects of society. Really, really felt like it was an important time to address it. Um, so we devoted an entire issue to um, sex and design and covered every aspect um, that design affects, um, is affected by this and incorporates it. Um, and we were pretty, um, pretty upfront about things. We didn't um, dance around the subject. Uh, we showed a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, full frontal nudity and, and everything. Sex but it was, toys. Yeah. Lots um, of sex toys. It was a range, um, but it was uh, very, we were very careful to, to deal with the subject sensitively, critically, and also have some fun, not take ourselves too seriously. We tried to achieve a balance. Um, so the issue came out, and um, one thing you should know is that a lot of people might not realize is when you get letters for an issue, most people who are moved to write about an issue to a magazine um, are not people that support it. You know, if you generally support and agree with something, you're not going to be moved to write a letter. So the first, you know, flush of letters we got were um, surprised and somewhat negative. Um, once we published those, we had a huge response of positive letters in response to those of with um, surprise. They were, you know, very indignant. So I think um, in the end, there really was a balance um, and probably actually more of support. But uh, initially what you see is, the outcry, and I think what people have to remember is that um, that this is a 60, at that point a 65-year-old magazine, and uh, there are certain expectations about about design magazines in general, and this really shook things up. I think in a lot of ways it was kind of like you know seeing your mother in a g-string. It was kind of like they just were a little uh, taken aback, and uh, um, and there are also you know a lot of people um, who have very conservative ideals. And um, so I, that's the best I can explain it. I think, though, for the most part, it really um, succeeded and um, was very greatly embraced by a lot of people. Um, but initially, it may have seemed as though it was tilting toward the negative. But in the end, it really wasn't. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank okay. you very much. Thank, Thank you welcome. for calling, Isabel. Sure. Hi. So I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break and, and the need for publications to have these cross-platforms of interaction with their audience and with their readership. 
Um, House Beautiful is a magazine that's over 100 years old. Print Magazine is over 70 years old. You've actually both uh, been through recent redesigns. Barbara, you were brought on to do a, a complete and, and utter overhaul of the magazine, which I believe sorely needed it. I'm actually a really big fan of House Beautiful. I've been reading it for about 20 years and was just at a point before you came on that I was ready to uh, cancel my subscription because it had become unreadable. So you were brought on to do this. And then two years ago, Joyce, you had Abbott Miller of Pentagram redesign your issues. Was this in response to the um, tentacles that publications have now as properties as opposed to just reading material? Or was it really just a sim was it simply time to do the redesigns? Barbara, you want to go first? The House Beautiful redesign was a direct response to a previous editor. And I think the reader as well as Hearst Properties felt that it was experiencing that magazine in that form was like going to a crazy relative's house. <laughs> you, you were overwhelmed with stuff and you couldn't navigate and you didn't know you know how it had gotten so so misguided and so wrong. Yeah. And we really literally cleaned house, got rid of everything except for the type on the logo, on the front. And uh, the editor in chief had a vision for changing the magazine into a question and answer format only, and for letting the photography once again become heroic, and to organize the magazine in a very traditional magazine format, which. By that, I mean there's a front of book section, which is where the advertising lives, and a well section, which are those continuous pages that are story, 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 connected and uninterrupted by advertising, and then a back, which is then, again, another advertising placement. And what I know of the House Beautiful Reader, he or she, look at this magazine not as work. It is the opposite. It is the end of the day. It is the cup of tea in bed. It is the kids are finally asleep. Thank heavens. Now I have some time for myself, and this is my magazine. I'm going to sit and, and look at all those beautiful photographs, and I'm going to relax. Mm. So the Internet for the House Beautiful Reader, I think, represents work. And it might be a nice place to go and shop. It might be a nice place to go and get source material. If you're really a dedicated home decor enthusiast, you might want to go play in the, in, in the website. And I know they're going to do wonderful inventive things with the website to make it more and more, uh, you know, a place to play and, and explore. But for the most part, this audience thinks of the Internet as, as work mm -hmm. and, and not that restful place that the magazine is. Yeah. Joyce, what about you? I, we have to go to break in a minute or two, but if you could just uh, give us your opinion on um, the redesign of print, why you did it at the time you did, and then you also recently just you relaunched printmag.com mm -hmm. um, for your readers and started a blog as well, I believe. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, but Same. there's lots of uh, regularly updated items. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, at the time we redesigned, our previous design was uh, was more than five years old at that point, and it was becoming um, a bit dated. Um, also, there was, we felt, not enough continuity throughout the book. Um, different pieces were being designed in different ways, and individually they looked good, but as a unit, um, it was becoming a little bit all over the place. Um, it was becoming a little sort of too colorful, too loud, too loose. I kind of described it as it was turning into kind of the Cosby sweater 
design magazine. Mm -hmm. And it really needed to be reined in. And editorially also, the pieces were, um, were running uh, really, really long and jumping to the back of the book. And we wanted to contain all the features in the well. And just overall make everything tighter and um, a more seamless experience and just to really um, draw things together. So we uh, launched the redesign with Abbott Miller, did an absolutely fantastic job in just clarifying our design. And we also looked at what we wanted to include editorially that we weren't covering before. Um, graphic novels, um, different forms of animation. You know, despite our title, we really cover a lot of interactivity. Um, and our own history, we wanted to incorporate um, works from our archives that we hadn't really been covering before. So it was a chance for us to um, expand our editorial scope as well. Um, and as far as the internet goes, um, we did, as we did the redesign, think of ways that we could tie the content of the magazine to the website. And we've been doing that. And as a bi-monthly magazine, the website has been a great way for us to um, update content and um, begin to interact with our readers in a way that we've never been able to do it before. Wonderful. It's been exciting for us. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, we have to go to our last break. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and we will be back in just a few moments. Please don't go away. Strengthening your financial goals. The leader in business talk radio, Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Em and Katie and Ivana Califatic of Clear Magazine. What's it like to be the first international fashion magazine to come out of the Midwest? That is interesting because that's the first question I always we get asked. You know, I thought you were in London. It does give you the ability to do anything anywhere. As long as you've got the software and a computer, you can create. And it really doesn't matter where you're at because through the Internet or through any kind of connection, you can see the whole world. With a great computer, you can pretty much create anything you like. That is a huge part of why we are who we are because it's when we're not given boundaries to some, and when people that are creative in general are not given boundaries, I think that they can do phenomenal work. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. For more information, visit adobe.com. This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. Nicholas Troxler has spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City, a benefit for the city of New Orleans followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. We know y'all are going to enjoy it. And please go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ag Council. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. 
We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.50 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guests today are Joyce Ryder Kay, Editor-in-Chief of Print, Michaela Abrams, the publisher of Dwell, Barbara DeWilde, Design Director, and Letitia Wolf, the beautiful Editorial Director of Surface. If you'd like to join our conversation, our phone lines will be closing in a few moments, so you have your last opportunity to call 1-866-472-5790. So, Michaela, you are our only publisher on the platform today, so I have a question for you. Um, it seems that there is a smaller and smaller divide between church and state, so to speak, these days. And I'm thinking very specifically to the uh, New Yorker issued last year that featured ads only from Target. And they were designed and illustrated by regular New Yorker contributors, regular New Yorker illustrators and designers. Um, what were your thoughts on this? Well, I think that we see um, the demand and or cry for this and have seen this for quite some time where large national brands want to get into the hearts and minds of a reader community that they feel best aligns with their brand message and they want to do it in a completely all-encompassing way, not just with, you know, some quote-unquote disruptive creative. Um, in the case of the New Yorker and Target, um, if you saw the issue. Um, this was not sponsored editorial. This mm-hmm. was an issue of the New Yorker that the New Yorker skillfully moved all other advertising out of and allowed Target to dominate. The Target had absolutely nothing to say about the editorial. There was no preview. They stuck completely with ASME guidelines. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if you do rule your editorial, as we do with by ASME guidelines, then you have to really be very clear with advertisers that there are plenty of creative ways, and we did it a number of times in 06, to uh, make sure that you're front and center with mm-hmm. our community without stepping over the line. Um, you know, television, the Internet, other media think we are way too fussy about all this and the product placement and all that is just going to be an eventuality. But the truth of the matter is this is a different media. There's a different level of engagement, a different kind of engagement, and I think that um, the magazine part of a brand in a platform must adhere to the principles that we've adhered to editorially for a very long time in order to maintain that credibility. I don't know. Something about it bothered me a little bit. I mean, I'm an avid reader of The New Yorker, and in fact, I'm an avid follower of many of the designers and illustrators that they hired to work on the magazine and work on on the, the ads, the specific ads that were created for Target. It felt to me that they had ever so slightly crossed the line. No, not that I didn't mm-hmm. read it and, and enjoy it, but it, there was something that felt just a little teensy weensy bit creepy to me. Um, yeah, any opinions well, from and the it designers? did many of their readers. If yeah, you yeah, saw yeah, then their yeah. letters and the following issues. Yes, yes, and, and the blogosphere went crazy about it. Um, other designers, the designers and editors on um, that are with me as well, Joyce, Barbara, Letitia, any any thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to say something perhaps about that that relationship in surface that um, we're trying to to nurture with our advertising base is. What I found interesting um, is the way um, we conceive the relationship as part of a, of a sort of a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on a creative base. So it's sort of like the Surface magazine slash what I call internally the Surface Creative Agency is quite often um, um, invited to literally art direct and help the advertiser come up with a smart, unique uh, way of advertising within the pages. Mm -hmm. So do you mean like advertorials yeah, or advertorial special advertising sections? Yeah, like literally producing. Like they're gigantic product projects, actually. Um, we're a little bit too ambitious sometimes um, in offering those services, but it's, it's quite similar to a design studio or an ad agency where we come up with the concept and, and we are you know, discussing this with the, with the, the client. So there's a whole view of, of um, imagery and, and sections that are coming out of the magazine, and we're trying to have fun with them. Um, they're generally printed on separate paper, or they're inserts, or they're in included in, in special issues. And I found it quite challenging to, um, you know, get the support of, of these advertisers, but at the same time, so share with them um, the creative vision um, in a very, very concrete project like this. Well, I think in, in days past, the advertorials or the special advertising sections always looked like special advertising sections, and I'm glad that, that, that you're talking about trying to really make it look different. I think that the issue that I had with The New Yorker was that it was completely and totally integrated into the magazine. Um, Barbara, you had, a, you had something you wanted to add? Well, the reader does not always differentiate the advertising from the edit content. Mm, and good point. So the closer you move... the the advertising toward the edit, the more that is um, going to be true. Mm -hmm. And so you're visual and you're educated into how magazines are structured. Most people think of advertising as added value within the structure of the magazine. So it is, it is a little fuzzy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. not necessarily okay. Well, we have one more caller, so I'm going to take this last caller before we have to close the show. Um, Mary, uh, you are calling Design Matters. Thank you so much for calling us. Hi, everybody. Hello. I have a question for Leticia. Um, I want to know what it's like to write and design and curate. That seems like a lot to have on your plate. I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Leticia is one of those women that does it all. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. And, again, I think it goes back to... Um, what I said earlier that I, I feel like I fell into publishing to me it's like one element among other things that I like to do and I try to maintain um, you know uh, this activity of thinking about design um, in different ways and different formats of, of expressing these ideas and an exhibition is a very good sort of three dimensional very public um, very um, uh, physical experience of, of design that you don't always have the pleasure of experiencing in, a, in an article, uh, which is 2D. And a conference is like a way to have people talk, which is one of my favorite things as a, as a you know, as a press person is to actually meet people. Um, so, so all of them are, you know, they're just like different elements um, that that I try to uh, to explore. Um, and, and also, it's, it's probably a um, saying a lot about the fact that I'm, I'm not a specialist and I will, I never will. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mary, for calling. Thank you. Thank well, I think that um, no matter what, at the end of the day, and as much as I truly do love all the cross-platforms, the blogs, the websites, the conferences, the parties, the networking, there's nothing, nothing that could ever replace, in my mind, the beauty 
and the intrinsic value of a magazine. So I want to thank all four of you wonderful women for joining me today. I'm, I'm just so enthralled with what you do and how you do it. So thank you so much. Um, we've come to the end of our broadcast. I'd also like to thank a very special thanks to Adobe, our sponsor. Speaking of sponsorship and crossing the line, I think Adobe is doing such a nice job for helping us bring this to uh, the public, these topics. I'd also like to give uh, special thanks to Brian Travis and Ruben Colomb at Voice America and Lisa Grant and Jen Simon at Sterling. Joining me ne next week on Design Matters is master typographer Doyle Young. Yes, the one and only. Thank you for listening, and please remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.